Well, we have been talking about gospel women. Uh, If you can see the slide behind me, most of you should be able to. We've been talking about women who have come in contact with Jesus uh, in the gospels and really not just focusing on them as women, but kind of using them as a unique case study to see how Jesus handled different issues. Issues such as legalism, issues such as immorality, issues uh, that we often face in our day, and how you know he particularly handled these cases uh, with a lot of women. And in the opening story, uh, I remember I was, I can't remember, I was doing sound, I think, for a women's event. And they had a speaker that was being piped in, and she told an interesting story uh, that had been told to her about a woman who was suffering from a severe infection in the hospital. In fact, it was so severe that it was touch and go whether or not she was going to make it. And as she was lying there in the back of the hospital bed, she looked up and she saw, you know how in hospitals they have, uh, they have crosses, uh, crucifixes on the wall? Uh, normally it's on the wall. Well, at this time she actually saw the crucifix on the ceiling so as she was in bed looking straight up she saw this crucifix and and it began to you know it kind of prompted her you know what it's time for me to pray I mean this is life and death here that I'm dealing with and so she began to pray and as she began to pray she said she began to see the crucifix kind of glow and although she didn't hear it audibly she felt in her thoughts she heard the phrase do you trust me And she interpreted that as Jesus saying, do you trust me? And she realized that up to that point, she hadn't really lived a life of trust. Uh, She trusted God, but there was a lot of fear in there. So she always took care of things herself and never really fully just surrendered and trust to Jesus. So in that moment, she said, the only thing I remember is, is just screaming out in the hospital room, yes, yes. And she was saying yes to that trust for Jesus. Well, a a little while later, she fell asleep, and when she woke up, she was doing so much better, and uh, her body had made so much progress, uh, just kind of half miraculously and half medicinally, that uh, the nurses came in, the doctors came in, and they said, you know, we don't think you need to be here anymore, that you can probably recover at home. And so as they were getting her things and and sort of leading her out of the hospital room, uh, she said to the nurse, Whatever you do, don't ever take that cross down from the ceiling. That's a great idea, and you guys need to keep it there. That was awesome. And as they're walking out, the nurse looked back and looked on the ceiling. There was no cross on the ceiling. I don't even think hospitals would be allowed to hang a fixture on the ceiling that could possibly fall beyond a light. Crosses are put on the walls, not on the ceiling. So the nurse was looking there in disbelief as to what this woman ever could have been talking about. I tell you this story to reinforce the fact that sometimes in order to see God move in our lives, it requires us saying yes to something that God is prompting us to. A lot of times we kind of want to sit back in the couch and just be blasted by the power of God, be blasted by a miracle. But really, nine times out of ten, it just don't work that way. More often than not, to see the power of God move in our lives, to see miracles flow through our life story is often going to 
require the sacrifice and the cost of saying yes to God, especially when it goes against our comfort zone. In this series, Gospel Women, we've been talking about women in the gospel who have come in contact with Jesus. But now as we close the series, what about the first woman who came into Jesus' life? In fact, the first woman that comes into any man's life. What about Mary? Mary is, she's not a prostitute. She's not sick like some of the women we've met in this series. She's not old. She's not his friend. She is his mom. God's mom. Remember, Jesus was fully human and fully God. And you got to kind of wrap your mind around it that God had a mother. And Mary was his mother. Now, I mean, in the history of the church, Mary has often been portrayed as sort of this mysterious, mystical, you know, sort of divine figure that's untouchable and surrounded by halos and doesn't really even walk on the ground. And, and you know, we sort of have a very deified view of Mary. But we can't forget, Mary was a very real and a very human teenage girl with very real doubts at times and very real questions, but most importantly, very real faith. We don't know too much about Mary other than uh, she is young and she is poor. She's a devout believer and she's very much in love. She was going to get married, have a family. She was going to enjoy the holidays and bake her famous pies. She was going to watch her parents grow old and her children grow up, all while being with a husband that she respected and loved. Oh, it may not have been much, but it was everything she needed to be joyful and happy. In fact, at this stage in her life, being a woman engaged to an honorable man, she had never been happier in her entire life. This was the most exciting time in her life. She was planning on a great wedding, a great feast, where all of the village would come out and for one day celebrate not only all of her happiness, but the happiness of the village. And it's right at this point that God breaks in with a far different destiny for the teenage bride-to-be. I'm going to read here, from Luke chapter 1. This is normally a, a paragraph re we read at Christmas. But I want you to kind of put Christmas out of it for a moment. And read this as another story of a gospel. Of a woman in the gospel. Who came in contact with God. Uh, Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 28. We'll read through 38. Says this. And the angel went to her to Mary. And said greetings. You who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. Jesus uh, means God is our salvation. God is saving his people. Verse 32, and he will be great and he will be called son of the most high. The angel is, is 
not clouding this with any sort of interpretation. Jesus will be the Son of God. Says, uh, the angel further says, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. So, very clearly, Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He will reign forever on the throne of David, and his kingdom will never end. All of the Old Testament fulfilled in one clause to one sentence right here. In verse 34, Mary says, How? How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. You're going to become pregnant, Mary, and it will not be a human man who assists you in that. God himself is going to be his father. Verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who is said to be unable to conceive, that was Elizabeth, who is said to be unable to conceive, is now in the sixth month of her pregnancy. Verse 37, this verse rings out throughout the ages. For nothing is impossible with God. By verse 38, Mary had heard enough, and she had simply replied, well, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel, le the angel left her. And just like that, God changes her whole life. She woke up one way. She woke up that morning. Life was a lot less complicated. She was a little village girl named Mary, getting married, all of the dreams that we just talked about. And now she will go to bed that night never the same. Gone are the happy dreams of a beautiful wedding. Gone is the sweet anticipation. Gone are the hopes for the most beautiful wedding to the most wonderful man who ever lived. Gone are the girlish dreams of a quiet life. She will be married, but not before rumors spread throughout the countryside. There will be a wedding feast, but definitely not the way she had planned. She will have a home filled with children. But forever there will be an uneasy cloud of dark suspicion that hangs over her and her family. It's all going to happen, but just not the way she had planned. Perhaps Mary teaches us the best thing that we can prepare for with this simple question. How do you react when God changes your plans? How do you react when God changes your plans? Mary, she went with it. And although there would be a lot of cost and sacrifice and pain, she saw and experienced something none of us ever will. And I doubt she had any regrets. But more often than not, when God tries to interrupt our lives or change our lives or change our plans, I so often see our reaction be one of anger and contempt 
We get mad when God rocks the boat. We get upset and angry when God changes our plans. We hate it when God closes the door that we wanted to go through and all of a sudden he opens a door that we might necessarily not want to go through and so we decide not to go through either of those doors and we pick a third or fourth door of our choosing. So often when God comes to change our plans, that's the moment where the possibility of the miraculous is right there. It's right there. All we have to do is reach out and take it. Because of our fears, because of our comfort zones, sometimes because of our nice, quiet American lives, we miss so much more than we could have. Because unlike Mary, we say, no thanks, not for me. I want to continue to follow the path of least resistance. And in doing so, we often subject our life to a life of fear and doubt and wonder. Wondering, when is God going to move powerfully like I read in the Bible? To see God move powerfully like we read in the Bible often requires a step of faith like Mary, that when God comes and changes your plans, instead of running away from it, we go with it, even though there may be pain and cost. My first point this morning is simply this. Point number one. For God to do the impossible, we often have to surrender our plan to his. Neither God nor Gabriel demands of Mary that she understands anything, right? I mean, obviously, she has to understand that she's going to be pregnant. That's going to happen. But to understand the whole huge picture of everything that's happening, God doesn't require that of Mary, nor does the angel. The only thing that is required of Mary is this that she believes and willingly submits to God's plan. And frankly, I do not know of many women who would do this. And I know of even fewer men. If Mary isn't on your list of biblical heroes, then she absolutely should be. See, a lot of our biblical heroes are very flawed individuals, right? Uh, Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. I mean, we look at some of our biblical heroes. They have got a lot of grit and immoral and humanity locked in them. So often when we see them on their knees coming back to God in repentance and in remorse, we can identify with that, and, that is, and that's very heroic. Mary, Mary's the girl that did everything right. She's kept herself pure. She's guarded her reputation. She's engaged to a good man. What makes her a hero is that she had worked so hard to be the woman that God had called her to be. And now God is calling her to a path that doesn't make sense. And she's willing to go with it. One time when we were when I lived in Washington there in in Washington state and I'm sure there are here in California too. There's all of these hot springs all over, you know, natural hot springs all over the state. I'm not sure about California, but in Washington, they all seem to be at like a mountain peak. You've got to climb five or 6,000 miles to get to five or 6,000, five or 6,000 feet uh, to get up to the hot springs. And so we had learned of a few. And when I was in college, one of the things we would do is knock off uh, college, you know, in the early afternoon, drive out to the mountains 
and then spend the evening hiking up to the hot springs and often just spend the night and up there and, and then come back uh, Saturday morning. So we were doing that. We had a, a bunch of us going, and, and I knew the path really well. Me and a bunch of people knew the path very well. So we were kind of cruising up there, wanting to get there before it was dark until we realized that uh, there were a couple of, couple of guys who weren't with us anymore. And if you know anything about men who hike, we do not want to stop and wait for you. All right? Keep up, right? Keep up. We do not want to stop and wait for you. And so, you know, especially when it's getting dark, it's cold, it's snowy. Remember, we're in the snow line here. I mean, we, we don't, you know, this was a big thing. And we stopped for a moment. We realized two guys weren't with us. And I remember the talk was, well, who's going to go back? Who's going back? And finally, we said, you know what? They're, they're adults. They can figure it out. They'll caught, catch up eventually. And so let's just keep going. So we kept going. We kept going. But something just began to burn in my heart. You know what? I don't know if I can live with this. If something were to happen, or if they don't make it, and they have to spend the night shivering in the cold somewhere, there's just something in me. I was like, I, I just don't know if I can do that. So I remember I stopped. And I'm like, you know what, you guys? I'm going to go back and look for them. I don't see them. You know, I, and they're like, oh, don't, don't. I'm there. there was a lot of resistance. And it was just a sense of, you know what? Right or wrong, I feel like I have to do this. I have to go back. This is, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to over-spiritualize and say I felt like the voice of the Holy Spirit was saying do it. There was just something in me that's like, you know what? I can't keep going for. I can't live with it. I got to go back. At least I won't have regrets if I go back. So they keep going. And sure enough, I'm going down and I don't see them anywhere. Uh, I'm looking, I'm, finally I get to this terrace where we're overlooking a valley and, and it's power lines everywhere. That's how we knew of this because there's power lines everywhere. And, and finally, I see two of them sitting at the base of a power line. Uh, they were completely lost and uh, didn't know which way was up from down, which way to go. And so I, you know, I worked my way back down to them. And to so say, we never made it up to the uh, hot springs. They were done. <laughs> they were pretty upset about the whole experience and so we went back into the car and actually we had a pretty cool time just talking and being there in the car but I remember I remember just that feeling of I can't move on I've got to go back and do and I really believe this now that God was calling me to go back and do that and I just wouldn't be able to live with it if I kept saying no to that voice so sometimes in order for God to do the impossible we have to surrender to his plan over ours even if there's cost to it number two for god to do the impossible and this is an important one it's okay to ask god how are you going to do it okay god great you're calling me to this how are you going to do it how is it going to happen that is not rebellion that you know that that to say god i don't think you can do this now that's doubt that's wrong that's that's unbelief you don't want to do that to say you know god no 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 you're calling me to something that you can't do in my life that's one thing that's wrong to say you know what god i hear the call i see what you're saying i see where you're guiding me i see what you want me to do now i need a little bit of the how and notice the angel and god never rebuked mary for asking how mary does not doubt the angel's word she just wants to know how it can happen because she's a virgin. She's still believing in the impossible. 
She's still believing even though the facts argue against it. And here's the beauty. When she asks how, Gabriel doesn't shame her. Gabriel doesn't say, oh my goodness, you're supposed to be a woman of faith. Gabriel says, I'm glad you asked. I'll give you the answer. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, it may not completely answer her question, but he says enough to say this. He tells Mary that what is about to happen is the direct intervention of the power of God. Mary, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to marry Joseph early. Uh, You don't have to, you know, this isn't going to be anything you got to do. You walk away from this conversation and you are going to be pregnant. And, and there's nothing, the how is going to be the direct intervention of God. He is going to overshadow you. That's a, a very common word, epischiazo. It's the same word that was used when God filled the temple. It's that God overshadowed the temple. In fact, it's the very same word that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, and the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the earth, hovered over the waters. Very same word, very same concept, that the Spirit of the Lord hovered and life came. So what the angel's really telling Mary is, you're going to be Genesis 2.0. God is going to do a creative act within you that has nothing to do with anything with Adam and Eve or all the rest of the humans. It's another, it's another new start here. And so, uh, essentially, you know, God says, I'm going to do it, and you just, you just go with it. You just keep living your life, Mary, and it's going to happen. Jack Hayford, uh, he once told a story, and I remember he said when asking God how, he said this, Most of the time when you ask God, how are you going to do it in my life, God? God is going to use your life experiences, right? Some of my life experiences are good. Some of them are very bad. But even some of those bad life experiences, I realize now in the hindsight of history, they toughened me up for something God was going to call me to later. No, I'd I'd never want to go through that again. But in some ways, I'm glad I got a little bit toughened so that some of the future doors God was going to open, there would be the courage God had already sown in my heart to go through a lot of those doors. So the first thing is God will use some of your own life experiences. Second, some of the times he will use another person. When you say, God, how is this going to happen? I'm going to use her. I'm going to use him. I'm going to use all of them. And they're going to help you in your call and the plan I have for your life. And I love Pastor Hayford that said this. He said, but, but, every now and then, he said, at least once in the life of a believer. He said, probably several more times, but I, I have found at least once in the life of a believer, God will do it personally himself. Just like placing Jesus inside of Mary's womb. God personally did it. And at least once in the life of the believer, you should be able to look back and say, there was a time where it wasn't me, it wasn't my friends and family, it wasn't anybody else. God did this. It was the direct intervention of God in my life on this planet. Number three, for God to do the impossible, 
it's actually best not to know the future. It's best not to know the future. Mary had no way of knowing how Joseph was going to respond to her pregnancy. She had no way of knowing. Would he blow his top? Would he walk out on her? Would he humiliate her publicly? Would he divorce her? And by the way, as the story turned out, Mary had every reason to be worried. Most, uh, Joseph was going to divorce her quietly. It was only an angel's intervention that kept that from happening. By saying yes to God, Mary risked losing the man she loved. There's more I could go on that, but I won't. Her whole future was on the line. She said yes, not knowing the future. Of course, we have the benefit of hindsight. We know that an angel spoke to Joseph, that Joseph took Mary as his wife, that Joseph protected her, that Joseph was there for her, that during the birth of Jesus and the flight to Egypt and coming back and raising Jesus as his son, his adopted son, as a carpenter, and all those things. We know in some ways that things turned out wonderful. And Mary, perhaps if Mary had seen that future, she would have been a lot less, you know, curious or wondering when she was walking back from whenever she had the encounter with the angel. But let's not forget, in the end, Mary would face the greatest pain that a mother could ever endure. She would watch her son, her miraculous son, die on the cross. Perhaps if she had truly known what was going to happen, her yes may not have come so quickly. I mean, sometimes we say, I wish I know what the future holds for me. But you really don't want to know. In fact, it's far better to not know what life will bring us 10 or 15 years down the road. Like Mary, it's best to walk by faith because we may not always like what we see. Finally, number four, for God to do the impossible, we must say yes no matter what the cost. Let's not underestimate what it cost Mary to say yes to God. From that moment on, she would face the mocking laughter of her friends. Oh, Mary, how could you expect us to believe such a bizarre story? She became the gossip of the neighborhood. Hey, did you hear about Mary? She's pregnant, and oh yeah, not married. Very not married. Mary knew, or would soon realize, that saying yes to God meant that her life at times would be happy. It would never again be the same. Never again be quiet. And by the way, God knew what Mary would face. And that's why I believe God, through the most powerful sentence. How do we get this sentence? The gospel writers weren't there when the angel talked to Mary. Joseph wasn't there when the angel talked. Nobody was there when the angel talked to Mary. So how did we get this phrase I'm about to tell you? We got it because Mary heard it and never forgot it. God said to Mary, for nothing is impossible with God. He's saying, Mary, 
Nothing is impossible for me to do in your life. Mary would be mocked. Mary would be scorned. Mary would be laughed at. Mary would be hunted down by King Herod. Mary would question her own son's sanity at one point. Mary would be there as Jesus is dying at the cross. That's quite a cost. And then God says, nothing is impossible. That is as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. The point is, to experience the impossible, you have to say yes. If you cower or bow out in fear, you've already drained most of the miracle juice out of your life. I want to read something to you. I, I know a lot of pastors, sometimes they talk about themselves. And I try not to do that. I try to go to the experience of the world to back up a lot of things. But I wrote something in my journal after I had written this sermon because reading it and over and over and over, it began to affect me in ways. And I began to weep over some of the areas of my life that I did not say yes to. I said no. And I wish I could go back and say yes, but as many of you know, you can't go back. You just keep moving forward and hopefully go through the yes doors that God has for you left in your life. But I remembered and I wrote this down. I said it was many, many years ago, but I can still tell you the smell of the plaster mixed with the paint in that small little church. I can barely remember the names of my high school teachers or the music bands I used to listen to. But that moment is burned into my mind like a tattoo on my brain. The moment where I said yes to God. Had I known the future ahead of me, I may not have said yes. Or at least I may not have said yes so fast. See, the moment I said yes had consequences. I would never live in my hometown of Detroit again. I know many of us, we probably make fun of Detroit, the murder capital of the world, the, all of these things, but that's my home. When I go there, it's like, it's like my people. I, I get it. I understand it. I miss it. Places I used to go to as a child, restaurants, things that are still there. That I'll always be there, I think. But I would never again, it would never be a major part of my life. I would never have the support of childhood friends or family that I had grown up with. Instead, I would sit with families and hold their hands while their loved ones passed away. I would be cursed by witches, betrayed by fellow pastors, endure the life of having the devil's arrows aimed at my chest like a bullseye. Nightmares, illness, and fatigue. If I knew all that would come, that day I said yes. Perhaps I would have thought it over a little more. Or maybe I wouldn't have done it at all. So in some ways, I'm glad I didn't know the full ramifications. I'm glad that it was a moment of pure faith, accepting whatever may come. And now that I've been a follower of Jesus for nearly 30 years, I couldn't imagine my life without him. All of the paths in this life will have highs and lows, enemies and friends. But the path where you look back and say, 
no regrets. I can live with this. That's the only path worth being on. I think Mary would have agreed. And I think Mary would have agreed with a popular quote that I read often and try to remind myself of often from the late missionary Jim Elliott who said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. As we close this series, I would like to pray for two things. One, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you have never made that decision as an adult yet, pray with me and make that decision now. Time is only running out. The sands in the hourglass are going and going and going. Don't wait until time's up. Jesus came for a powerful reason. It was to save us. Let him be your savior this morning. The second thing I want to pray for is for those of you who have a whole list of no's when God came to change the direction and plans of your life. Like me, those doors, you can't go back to and reopen them. You can only begin to say yes from this point forward. I want to pray that God will give you the faith and the courage to walk through those doors even if you have to go through what Mary went through. Trust me, in the end, she would have had it no other way. Heavenly Father, right now, for those of us who have never made that choice to receive Jesus as our personal Savior, God, right now, we give you our lives. We say yes to Jesus. We say yes to the cross. We say yes to the Holy Spirit. We say yes to the Word of God. We say yes to the Christian church. And God, I pray right now that you would forgive all the sins of those praying this prayer with me right now. Fill them with the Holy Spirit that they would become true followers of Jesus. Forgiven, freed, and filled with the Holy Spirit. And God, for those of us watching who may be believers, but Lord, we have said no too many times. God comes and begins to ruin our comfort zone and we just can't go there for one reason or another. God, I pray that we would not be a lukewarm, apathetic people that eventually just get spit out because we say no so many times. I pray that we would rise up like Mary and say, Lord, I am your servant. Let it be to me as you have said. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.